I remember I flew over and I met some people on the airplane and I put a, a couple jobs together, sort of on the airplane. So I did a bunch of coming, apartments. Coming to Hawaii? Yeah, I did okay. apartments in Mokalei and I did some renovations in Waikiki. This so, is on the way here during a college break? Yeah. Because you had to pay for your. By yourself. the time I landed, I had put together three projects that, you know, I did in wow. a week or so, and then I had spare time and a little extra money. So I kind of had a knack for doing this kind of stuff. This ability to create jobs for himself on the fly got him through college, and he continues to amaze with a large business that welcomes international clients with very difficult problems and works to solve them. Patrick Sullivan, next on Long Story Short. One-on-one, -on -one engaging conversations with some of Hawaii's most intriguing people. Long Story Short with Leslie Wilcox. Aloha mai kako. I'm Leslie Wilcox. Patrick Kevin Sullivan is the founder and chairman of Oceanit, a Honolulu-based company that has raised more than $475 million in research and development funds since it was founded in 1985. A staff of about 160 scientists and engineers combines their skills in a mind-to-matter process to create solutions to some of the world's most difficult problems. Sullivan's path as a fearless innovator started when he was young, wanting to pursue higher education and knowing that he would need money for that. By the time he entered college, he was already comfortable with bidding jobs and hiring workers. My parents didn't have education, and there were five kids, so it was all about feeding the kids, and that was pretty much it. My dad worked, my mom didn't. And, um, what did he do? Well, he, he started out doing uh, aircraft maintenance kind of stuff in Los Angeles, and then he started doing um, some kind of landscaping work. And then we moved up north to Seattle, and when they the very first 747. So he got recruited to work there as a mechanic. And um, I remember going through the mock-up on plywood. It was really interesting because the whole aircraft was made of plywood at that time. And so w the whole family moved, which I thought was a big traumatic thing. It turned out it was a really good thing, but I thought, well, if everything in the world is right here in L.A., and then we move, and I thought, well, there's nothing here. But it turns out there's a lot there. So, I, I mean, I learned a lot from, from that kind of an experience. But then uh, Boeing went through a down cycle, and it was just devastating. So everybody was out of work, and everybody got laid off. So... Um, living through those kinds of things, right? So that's what led him to, okay, there's no more work, so we're going to move, and, you know, and that's kind of what... Oh, and where did you move to? So we went from there, um, I think we went to Arizona, Colorado, uh, Wyoming, Texas. So, and you were switching schools as you went? Yeah, yeah. So I went to four different high schools, which, which is, uh, brings its own challenges, Right, because... Um, You're the new kid in the room. Yeah, so the first thing is within the first 30, 60 days, you're going to get in a fight. Just get over it, right? Do it sooner than later. But every school is like that. So you go through these things, and you learn a lot. And so that's why we moved around so much. I mean, they tried to keep everything together, but it was just really hard. And I think from my perspective, that's why education was so important. Well, you're living paycheck to paycheck or, or job to job. Did you ever go hungry? Did you ever not be able to pay your rent? Well, so 
they struggled with that stuff, and we used to buy, uh, my, fa my, my parents used to buy food in bulk, so like half a cow, right? So you carve it up, and, or uh, uh, powdered milk by the box, right? So it wasn't regular milk, but it was powdered milk. So it's, you always had something, and of course, lots of potatoes. <laughs> do you eat many of them now? <laughs> uh, my wife really likes potatoes. Um, I still do, but not, you know, we, we but they, they kind of made do. Uh, and then when I started, uh, when I was about 17, I started living on my own. And then there were... So you left the house and were not supported by them at all, didn't live in the home? Yeah. I had a, I bought a, a car. So I started working when I was 13 and I saved up all my checks. And then um, I just went out and bought a car when I turned 16. And um, the funny thing is I didn't have a driver's license or anything, but I just, I, I brought all the paychecks, I got the cash, I just went in and bought a car. And then I drove the car to the, to the driver's license thing because I needed a driver's <laughs> license. <laughs> but otherwise, what are you going to do, right? And then um, when, I, when I started, you know, living on my own, I, that was it, right? I had the car. So we, the, my, my friends in college called it the Dodge Hilton. So you slept was, in your car at times? Uh, yeah, a lot. Of, and because, you know, it was out of the rain and out of the snow. So, and it would sometimes get cold. But, you know, when I think about it, I was mobile and I could do all kinds of things. So I wasn't feeling sorry for myself. Well, what, did you have a discussion with your parents before you took off? Uh, well, I wanted to go to college. And so I, I drove to college and that was it, right? So... And I was able to get into the dorm. This was in Boulder. How did you manage that since you came virtually without money? So, so I did um, uh, some loans. And I was, uh, the only thing I could do was math, but I got into engineering. And, and I applied to a couple schools. I got into a couple schools. I didn't really know what I was doing, but it turned out that was a good idea. So it was School of Mines, which is for mining engineering, which is the best school in the country for that. And then... Uh, University of Colorado, and then at the time, I remember I, I, I thought the girls were much nicer in Boulder, and of course that's where I met my wife. But um, so that was probably a good move. But student loans, uh, grants, a work study. So I worked through uh, all semesters in the labs. So I spent a lot of time in labs, and then I started um, a business when I was probably 17, doing, because uh, I, I started doing a lot of manual labor when I was probably 15, 14. Originally at 13, I was working in restaurants, right? So I did everything from busboy, bellhop, dishwasher, did all that kind of stuff. So I was earning some money. And, uh, and before that, I was actually cutting yards. So me and this guy, uh, E.J. Babbitt would compete for houses and get like a dollar, two dollars a house, right, to go cut the grass and do all the trimming. You did the sales and the work. Right. right. So we we compete on doing these in the neighborhood. But I I kind of learned by the you know seventeen eighteen that I could I could earn money in the summer by bidding on jobs. So I started doing landscaping and irrigation. So I learned irrigation uh, from working. Right. So I. I I started out, you know, what happens is I could dig a really good ditch straight, 
right? And they said, okay, we're going to show you how to lay pipe, right? And then we're going to show you how to do joints. And then we're going to show you. Because everything I did, I tried to do a good job. And so slowly they would give me, like, can you do this? And so I learned everything from actually just doing the work. So by the time I was maybe 18, 17, 18, right in there, I was able to kind of bid, uh, I bid jobs, and then I, I would put and do the install. So I did, gosh, um, Denny's, Sambo's, we did Motel 6, commercial office buildings, these little chicken places, and I would just knock on the door during construction, talk to the, the, the guy running the job, and say, you have anybody to do this, and I'd give him a price. And then I started it basically um, <laughs> on a credit card, because <laughs> I didn't have any money, but I would, uh, I, that's really, I would, I would do that to earn money to be, stay in college, right? So that's, uh, that's how I would uh, help pay for college, too. So loans, grants, work study, and um, uh, doing these projects. And did so, you hire people, or did you do all that landscaping No, no, yourself? I would hire. And so it turns out um, I ended up with a, with a Hawaiian crew. There are a lot of Hawaiians in uh, Boulder, and they're in engineering, right? So I knew a lot of guys. And so I said, look, you want to earn some extra money? You know, once you show up, and so I would put these guys to work, and you know, it would just be physical labor, but they're young guys, and um, and pay them in cash. Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes I would hire. Um, uh, you can go to like these uh, employment service things where you got guys standing around that just need a job. In some places, there's like corners where people that need work just hang out, and you go by and you say, "Okay, can I get this guy and this guy?" And you put them on the job. And sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're now, one of the problems with those those guys in general, and it's an oversimplification, but you know they get paid and then they go get drugs, or they get paid and then they get alcohol. So some of them are having issues. So I had guys like that too, but I would do that in Colorado, Arizona, and and parts of Wyoming. So one of the first big jobs I did was um, it's a big restaurant in um, Cheyenne, and uh, I put the high school football team to work. Literally. So I also worked in between jobs as a roustabout, so in the oil field. So I worked um, at the time in parts of Wyoming. So, um, uh, of course, there there wasn't much going on in Cheyenne, but um, uh, Rock Springs was considered at the time the last boom town of the West. It was like something out of an old West. Casper, uh, uh, Rollins. So we were, I was in a place. (laughs) <laughs> an abandoned house with a bunch of guys across from the Rollins prison. Um, because, and I put in a shower. I said, I can't stand this, right? So I put in my own plumbing to make a shower. But you can make a lot of money working in the oil patch, right? But it's just hard, dirty work. And so we were building the uh, infrastructure. This is in the summer. So, you know, and I was just, I needed to make money. How, how much time did this leave you for school? I always, I always studied. I enjoyed the, what I did in school. Um, so the, the, the goal was to make money to be in school. That was always the goal. And how did you manage that? How did you balance it? Uh, it you know, it's just, it's work, right? What do you, I mean, it, 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 you just do it. And so um, I never really worried about that. But, yeah, it does kind of add a bunch of other things to complicates things. But in my view, school was the single most important thing. And so um, I I just focused on that. But I was able to, by the time I graduated, I I actually had 
put together a lot of money. Because I remember uh, when I got married, uh, I thought I needed to buy a house. So I had saved up a bunch of money. While you were in college, I was paying in college. for tuition on your own. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I need to have money to buy a house if I'm going to get married. And then I went to grad school and I thought, okay. Um, I didn't know much about buying a house, but I did it. I was probably at 22, 23, right? And so I learned a lot. I learned how not to do it <laughs> and, and later on how to do it. But, um, yeah, I, I always kind of had a knack to, to make money. I, I never saw it as an endpoint, as a way to be able to do the things that were important. But I needed to make money because uh, when you don't have any money and, you, you know, I remember trying to qualify, I couldn't get food stamps because if you're in college, you can't get food stamps. So I'd buy, uh, uh, like, big cartons of eggs and loaves of bread and a box of oranges, right, and live on that for a while because that's it, right? I mean, I've, and you could buy uh, subprime oranges. They don't have to be like the, the top-line oranges, and you can get them in Albertsons, go talk to the produce guys in the back and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what I did to make sure I had food. Uh, not all the time, but there were times, right? So that got me focusing on, okay, I better earn some money. So the work study was good. Um, the, the grants were good. I paid off. It was called um, basic, there was basic educational opportunity grant. There was the thing called non, it was defense student loan or something like that. And so when I graduated, I had some debt, so I, I was able to pay that off too. But it was never um, a question that I wasn't going to be able to do it. It was just trying to balance all these different things. That must have been an enormous uh, burden for a 17-year-old, 18, I mean, you were, you were juggling so much. I mean, sleep must have not have been a priority at that point. I didn't. I probably didn't sleep a whole lot. Yeah, I think. Oh. When you look back, it was probably harder than you knew at the time. Well, for a lot of these things, if you know how hard it's going to be before you do it, you probably wouldn't. So better not think about it and just you know, kind of focus on what's the right thing to do. And uh, no, I, I don't feel bad about it or regret it, but I learned a lot in the process because it's not just um, uh, the education for the sake of education, but for the sake of learning. Entrepreneur Patrick Sullivan was always good at math and decided early on that he wanted to be an engineer. Beyond that, he didn't have a plan. When I started in Boulder, I wanted to do aerospace. Uh, and they were laying off aerospace engineers. So I ended up pivoting into engineering physics, which was a good move for me at the time. But you would think, well, that's crazy. So Boulder you know, would educate most of the astronauts. They'd all go through Boulder. So you could see that um, if you went through aerospace in Boulder, maybe you could be an astronaut. But then that whole thing kind of went down. So industries go up and down. But a good education is much more durable. And so I thought engineering physics is, is good, you know, because it's very broad. It's applied, you know, hands-on. A big, big emphasis in nuclear, so I thought at the time, oh, I should do nuclear engineering. And then I worked in a, uh, an atomic and nuclear lab for a year, you know, in, in, during the school year. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe I need to get outside more because we had a, uh, a cyclotron which would produce uh, these particles. And that was really interesting. And I spent all my time going through the data, that kind of stuff. But um, I think um, 
that was it was a good experience because I thought, okay, maybe I don't want to do this quite like this. And there was another thing I remember. Um, I walked by and picked up a sample of something that was radioactive. And, you know, when you work with this stuff, you think, oh, no big deal. So I picked it up, and I walked by a Geiger counter, and the thing goes off, and I thought, Jesus, you know, you get really comfortable, and that's kind of dangerous, right? So I thought, okay, I need to think. So I, I didn't stay in the nuclear track, although did lots of atomic and nuclear stuff, which is good. It's a good a good. Uh, uh, intellectual exercise. Yeah, because all the way along it sounds like you were looking and seeing where things were going and, yeah. and retracking yourself. Yeah. You mentioned meeting folks from Hawaii at Boulder. Was one of them your wife? Mm. Yeah, I did. So Jan um, was finishing up and um, I, I kind of met her here through a friend of mine, uh, Mike Ako. Uh, he introduced me, but then she was going back and I was just... Uh, finishing. I had a semester to graduate. And um, so she went back early and I, um, I let her drive my car, which was, people thought, wow, you must really like her. <laughs> she didn't have a car, but it was funny because the car, um, I had built it from junkyard parts, right? So everything kind of got bad. So I, I rebuilt everything, went to the junkyard, bought all the parts, put it together. And um, the dipstick for the oil pan was, uh, there was a dipstick, but the real one was a calibrated coat hanger because all the parts didn't match, but I made it work. And so she didn't know about the coat hanger, so she went in, and they kept pouring oil in this engine and said, there's something wrong here. So then they had to put it up on blocks, drain it all, and do all these things. But later, she realized, uh, they, I told her, yeah, it's the coat hanger on the side <laughs> that would calibrate it. And she fell in love, right? <laughs> yes. She's, she's uh, amazing. And you didn't have a true home state to return to because you moved over uh, around a lot. But she, she, she was she she's a person of Hawaii. Right. And so uh, we, we, in the beginning, so when I finished up, I, I got a job at Storage Tech, which was really a spin out of University of Colorado, and created that whole tech corridor. So I would go to work in the College of Engineering wing, actually, because there was no infrastructure. There were just kind of farms and stuff. So I started doing that, and I was going to go to grad school, and I started applying. But then I, I thought we might stay in Colorado, but then I realized that that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's a wonderful thing. But, uh, yeah, so she, she said, you know, we can live anywhere, but... It, it just make sure it's in Hawaii. So, <laughs> got it. <laughs> so, Patrick Sullivan moved to Hawaii and earned a PhD in engineering from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Time for a new plan. At that time that you were going through the PhD program, did you know what you'd be doing with it? Well, so. That's a good question. Everybody said, do you want to be a professor? And I said, not really. It's too slow. And it looks, I said, nothing personal, but, you know, for a lot of this stuff, it's, it's, it's just not moving fast enough. And they said, well, then why are you doing this? And I said, well, education. I'm trying to learn. And uh, to this day, that's exactly right. And my goal was to do things. And... Um, but you didn't have a, a specific purpose. You wanted you just to apply what you knew? Yeah, I was interested in all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and so when I finished, the option was uh, I could be at the, you know find a university level type of thing, which is good in a lot of ways. But again, for me, it wasn't fast enough. And uh, the, there's the shipyard, which is some really good people doing important work, but I didn't want to do that. So I created Ocean It. And, uh, but I kind of knew how to do that. So I didn't feel like, uh, I thought, yeah, okay, I can do this. You knew how to start a, you mean you knew how to start a company? Right. Because you Because I, I learned a lot mm-hmm. doing these kinds of projects and jobs when I was in college. And, you know, how to bid a job, how to run a crew, how to deliver stuff, how to execute. That wasn't really a big deal. Um, that always kind of came naturally. So the thing that was important for me was I was very interested in learning um, the uh, science and the applied science and engineering of stuff because for me that was really fun and it was something that would um, allow me to build, do, and do things, right? Make things, which is really what I wanted to do. And sky's the limit, right? The sky's the limit. Or beyond the sky. (laughs) Right. So it's not limited by subject or field. It's really limited by imagination. And that that really became ocean. Which means? Well, it's a Greek and Latin derivative of ocean dweller. But see, the thing about the ocean, the ocean is a teacher uh, in so many ways. But when you do work in the ocean, it's very interdisciplinary. So it covers everything from you know, of physics, uh, chemistry, biology, hydromechanics. So it's probably the biggest mashup of all science is the ocean. So for me, um, it was kind of like an applied physics PhD focused on fluids. And, um, and then I did applied electrochemistry and a bunch of other things in materials. But it was a mashup. And it turns out, that mashup of fields and technologies is where uh, what we what we do today at OceanNet, right? So it's in energy and aer- aerospace and materials and all kinds of things. But if I think about it, that is kind of what it takes to build in in on and around the ocean. So it worked out. Not everybody who moves to Hawaii wants to stay. Clearly, you do and you have. What was it like for you being the Malahini in Hawaii, introduced to all kinds of new people? And uh... Well, I had a, a classmate, uh, Eric Yi, who became a physician here. He's a, a Hawaiian Chinese. Um, and uh, I used to go surfing with his brothers. They had a big house in Nu'uwanu. And uh, that was, I think, the first time uh, he, we had done this road trip right, in, in the Dodge Hilton. So I brought Eric. In your old car. In my old car. <laughs> we drove down to the Keys. We did all this stuff. And uh, Eric hadn't been through the South. And, and we had this other guy from New York. And so it was, it was a really interesting trip where we you know, would, would dive in on the Keys. And just and Eric was amazing. He was just grabbing lobster. And we're just cooking a fire and <laughs> doing all these things. But what I would stay with him and his brothers, the Yi brothers. And, uh, and we'd go surfing. And, they, and so it was kind of interesting because uh, uh, we'd go out uh, surfing. Of course, they were, all, they were all much better than me, and I was not that good. At the, I mean, I've gotten better, but uh, they would say, okay, ditch the holy, right? He's uh, going to be the bait for the shark, and they go out there, and I'm going, what? <laughs> but I, I learned a lot from, uh, from them. They were super, super nice people, and I think um, 
That doesn't sound so nice. <laughs> no, they were they were just so nice. I thought, and they, but it really touched me that um, in the community, there's, they're so giving and so supportive. That was before I met my wife. You came to Hawaii for love, and now <laughs> and you and you started this business here. Is it um, obviously you are reaching far beyond here? But would it be easier to be somewhere else from a business standpoint? Well. That's a good question. We just had this group here this week from Korea because they want a license for the country of Korea. We're going to do, I think, a pipeline in Turkmenistan this quarter. We're actually going to do heat exchanges in Abu Dhabi. We're starting to do, I mean, this stuff is all just kind of cranking. And it was all invented here and developed in the lab, but the market is the, is the rest of the world. And that's how we view it. So for manufacturing and certain things, you can build facilities in different places. For the magic, this is the place. One example of an innovative product Ocean had developed is the Life Bed, which has sensors to take vital signs without intrusive wires and electrodes or removing clothes. It started out as a request from the Department of Defense to improve triage on the battlefield. Since then, it's been adapted for hospitals, long-term care facilities, and home care because it can monitor vital signs without touching the patient. Thanks to Patrick Sullivan of Kailua O'ahu for sharing his life stories with us, and mahalo to you for joining us. For PBS Hawaii and Long Story Short, I'm Leslie Wilcox. Aloha nui. You've uh, trademarked, I believe, something called intellectual anarchy. It always starts with asking a basic question, a fundamental question. Not necessarily a question that's about a science thing, but maybe a life thing, but basic questions. So getting the right question is a really big deal. When you ask the right question, then you go on this sort of a journey in exploring an answer. And that leads to a lot of interesting things. For audio and written transcripts of all episodes of Long Story Short with Leslie Wilcox, visit pbshawaii.org. To download free podcasts of Long Story Short with Leslie Wilcox, go to the Apple iTunes Store or visit pbshawaii.org.